All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars. My name is Ryan Goke, and with me I have Marcelo Gonzalez. Hey, everyone. Austin Ivey. Hey, everybody. And Joshua Hendricks. Hello, hello, hello. And today we're going to hop back on the train of communism, socialism, capitalism, but we're going to kind of shift gears into more of the individualistic versus collectivistic perspectives, probably talk a little bit about uh, powers, opportunities, things like that. Stemming from this uh, recent news, Jordan Peterson has come back into the light with his uh, 12 additional ways to uh, improve your life. I don't know that I have the exact title of his book correct, Uh, but he's also made headlines as apparently one of Hydra's uh, main new Marvel Nazis. Uh, So (laughs) playing off the idea that he is a Nazi, I'm interested to kind of see where that came from. But I'll hand it over to Josh after Austin jumps in with his clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room again. All right. So I'm just going to give a brief introduction before we even get into kind of arguing about Peterson. Um, Dr. Peterson is a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Toronto, specializing in what he calls and what it is a kind of a developing field, maybe, um, of evolutionary psychology, where instead of looking at social factors to explain human behaviors and why humans do what they do, they seek biological reasons, um, what Freud would call the unconscious. Um, Peterson agrees in some sense that there is this evolutionary unconscious that gives us archetypes to fulfill, to provide order and meaning to our life. And that's kind of part of the base, you know, infusion of his self-help book of Clean Your Room and such, and of the larger disposition he has uh, towards people. If you ask Peterson, Trans people feel gender dysphoria because they're not fulfilling the evolutionary archetype of men that their body and evolutionary unconscious want them to. And so returning to order that is found in other biological structures and species, Peterson thinks we can help resolve what he calls a crisis of meaning in, you know, the 21st century that has developed from postmodernism. Now, if that was all he was, it would be a very um, no major public figure um, not, or person. But as always, we saw with, as Ryan mentioned, this illusion that the Marvel uh, Comics author made. And I've actually uh, seen the bit. It was uh, the Red Skull. And he was like saying Peterson lines like on the screen in a YouTube video as Peterson was. So it was hardcore uh, direct. They did name it 10 Rules of Life in the strip instead of 12. But yeah. There was very little illusion because that one of them one was seriously clean your room um, in the comic strip. So there, there was no denying what was going on there. So why does he get that title and that perception? And that comes from one, he opposes gender equality and uh, an egalitarian society from this evolutionary um, psychology. In his balancing of order and chaos themes in his book, masculinity is the order and femininity is the chaos and most, if not all of his metaphors. And so a lot of people picked up on that um, pretty quick. He was also um, became really famous when he opposed a piece of legislation that updated the hate speech codes in um, 
Canada to where if you were intentionally um, misgendering someone as an aggressive aggression, you could be charged for it, same as you were using a racial slur in Canada. Um, and he was very much so opposed and got a lot of his early uh, public career for being aligned with that. But perhaps um, in the most concerning artifacts we see about Peterson is how he talks about the West as being a separate entity from the rest of humanity. And further, my biggest point of um, eyebrow raising at Peterson is the term of postmodern neo-Marxism or sometimes reduced down to cultural Marxism, which shares an uncanny resemblance to a Nazi conspiracy developed by Joseph uh, Goebbels called cultural Bolshevikism, which is Bolshevik was the um, name of the revolution that occurred um, in Russia in 1917, the Bolshevik revolution. And so this cultural Bolshevikism was infecting Germany, being brought over by the Jews to destroy and corrupt their society. And now Jordan Peterson is saying cultural Marxism is being brought in from people from the global South and Asia to destroy Western society with their cultural Marxism. And the parallels there draw a lot of eyebrows. And Peterson has had a, of a bit of a mixed career because of this and uh, has met with a large amount of public revile. Although I will say, and has been noted by even um, his critics in his newest book, um, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, he does cut back on a lot of the um, more, let's say, edgier parts um, of that was found in um, An Antidote for Chaos, 12 Rules for Life, his first book. And so his second book is much more self-help focused. Um, but he's still very much so a radical public uh, philosopher in today's modern discourse. And so we'll leave that for now um, as our introduction, and we will hand it off to go ahead and start getting into the discussion about some of the ideas he presents and forces us to have by the questions he poses and how he comes in um, into play into the discourse about society. Now, Marcelo, you mentioned last week uh, after the show that you wrote a paper on him. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your thoughts on this to kind of kick us off? Yeah, for sure. Um, as a full disclaimer, I used to be a fan of Jordan Peterson when I was in college. Um, I am very, well, now I think I would be very ashamed to admit that. But I think it's it's important to describe it because I feel like it's essential to the discussion to see what people see in P- Peterson and people who follow their ideology as well. And uh, thank you, Josh, for the introduction. I think the way we tie this back into our discussion is this idea of what Peterson means for the fans and also for the opponents. For his proponents and his fans, he's a very intelligent, educated man who speaks of uh, what Josh said, a a lack of meaning, you know, a a crisis in, in today's society where we like uh, men, but also in general people, you really can't find that meaning because we need order. We need uh, what I would call a return to the way things were and a return to traditional. And that is this traditional perspective that Peterson brings. So for his proponents, this makes sense in the way that he's only talking about, you know, yourself, improve yourself, uh, take back control of your life, you know, be a better, be the best version of yourself, yourself that you can be. And I think in this way, his self-help books have, in a way, guided many people to, again, trying to take back control of their lives. But this, 
to his opponents also mean uh, that it is a very dangerously treading to a very individualistic perspective. It is something that is like highly like this is how things should be. And you're feeling wrong because of these particular reasons. Peterson brings, you know, the decay of the West and like this idea of the Western ideology being in decline as one of the reasons why you don't have any meaning. So how are you going to do it? We need to go back. And, and it's this idea of going back that was, I think, a turning point for me. What I found that I really agreed with some of his ideas on the, the fact that things are not going very okay in our society is, I mean, it's true. But in the underlying assumption for Peterson's ideas is that the problem is within us and it is we need to return to the Western society. We need to return to like, this is how things should work for men and for women. And if they don't work in this way, then we're going to find chaos. We're going to find disorder. We're not going to be okay. Whereas now I believe that there is another way forward. Uh, it is not only for us to return back. It is not only me cleaning my room, uh, that the thing that needs to be fixed, but it is a more holistic problem model of society that needs to be, that needs to change really. Anytime someone claims like we need to return to something, I think there's a lot of underlying assumptions that you're basing it off of. I think that there's some things we might agree might be good to emphasize, some that might not be so good to emphasize. And anytime there's a sweeping claim we must return to this, you're obviously going to receive criticism because we've made progress in some areas that we don't want to lose. Austin, what are your thoughts on this before we jump into the, the dissection of the ideals and the ideologies? I guess we can kind of tie it in um, directly and just move forward the conversation. Um, to my ears, what you were describing there, Marcelo, um, with Peterson, I'm like passingly familiar with his work. I've caught the occasional YouTube video, but I haven't read his books and haven't delved in super deep. Not um, like passingly interesting, but not the most, not the highest thing on my list. But from what you were describing, it sounds like a lot of his focus is on, you know, helping yourself, or at least my understanding is help yourself before you help others kind of thing. It's like make the best that you can with yourself so that you can be of use to the people around you and do the best that you can with what you have. That's as far as, uh, or let me tie that back to what Marcel was saying. Um, the problem is in you and the individual side of things, like there are things I need to fix in my life. That sounds like pretty stark contrast from some of the stuff that Josh was describing as far as some of the cultural tie-ins with Nazi ideology that they're trying to ascribe to him. It seems as far as my understanding, those ideologies tend to put the problem external on people that were, you know, coming in that they didn't like. I don't know. I'm just trying to square that circle where the rub is there. Because from my understanding, it seems to be more of an individual thing, things that I can fix, not necessarily people coming in and forcing problems on me. Does that... Sure. I yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. I, I feel like the where the conversation becomes more collective is that uh, Peterson is not only claiming that you're in the wrong here, like it's like there's something wrong with you, but he also extends this claim to everybody else. It's like it's not that you as a man have lost your way. All men have lost their way and all women have lost their way. And that is when the conversation turns into this outrage in a way of trying to claim that things are not okay in society because as a society, we've all lost our meaning. Like there is something wrong with all of us. And obviously, if there's something wrong with you, you should probably fix it. If there's something wrong, something wrong with others, then what do you do in that case? I think it also ties into that there's two kind of major elements, especially more so in Peterson's early work with Beyond Order. We'll have to see if he kind of keeps up his crusade against postmodernism. But if we just examine 
the 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 self-help book of it and if you're listening to this and you got something from that and those books have helped you get out of bed nothing i say here please interpret nothing i say here as an attempt to take that away if you found a way to keep yourself going and to make life more tolerable through peterson's book you've done something for yourself and that's valuable because you as an individual are worth something but there's these then two things that exist then in Peterson. One is this very individual self-help, which has the same criticism that kind of all of the self-help genre does. It doesn't matter how much I clean the room. That isn't going to change the fact, say, um, before gay marriage was legalized in America, like a gay person could clean the room all they like. Um, the state still wasn't going to let them going to marry. And so it moves problems then that exist in the, the big broad to the individual at some extent, while also making that collective individual part of the big broad problem. And so it is in that little like philosophically confusing, but I also think it's made a bit more clear and like why Peterson is criticizing postmodernism and why he kind of posits this own modernism. So to give a brief definition on both of those terms, modernism is the way we viewed the world before 1930. And realistically, that's not entirely true, but the people who weren't postmodernists at that point were squirreled away in universities and no one was listening to them yet. Um, but the shock of World War II definitely spurred forward our faith and like this absolute. So modernism believed in grand narratives that fully explained the world. Marxism is the one of the, you know, in my opinion, the most famous modernist theory because it talked about this historical tension between the haves and have-nots and how the material conditions produce what we need for society and enact society because of these material conditions. And he thought he was being as scientifically accurate, Karl Marx did, is he there, um, as um, a analytical chemist in today's world. He thought his math, you know, they thought their sociology was as exact as our chemistry. That is modernism, that, uh, that the humanities are just as good as the hard science. That, that, take away from that, that is modernism. Postmodernism says there's absolutely no way that's true. Humans are way too different. We have way too many different perspectives. We come from way too many different unique backgrounds, and we're all going to experience um, reality differently. The really fancy philosophical term is phenomenology, which was we, ex you know, life is what we experience. Um, now, in postmodernism, and by then at extension, poststructuralism, and we'll get to that one in a minute. There's this: everyone has their own little shard of reality that they're able to see. It, it, you know, if you've ever heard the, you know, the blind elephant thing, someone's got, you know, the trunk and they say, you know, it's a snake. They, someone's got the leg and they say it's a tree. That metaphor, that is postmodernism. That because of where we are as individuals, none of us can really understand everything that's going on. And for a lot of people, that means there is no absolute truth. And for some postmodernists, self-included, Yes, that is what I am saying, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. And those differences aren't really much more there, but we also then have to remember of like what this postmodernism means is it takes away the ability to be right, to be correct, to be absolute, because everything's in this fragmented, blindfolded elephant discovery phase, and that's the best we can get. And so Peterson's order 
And restructuring is answering this kind of postmodern shattering of absolute meaning and order. And that has some very interesting, you know, suggestions for identity development, because we also may have heard the term essentialist or existential. Essentialist is what the Greeks uh, thought until, or what the Greeks and pretty much everyone thought until Friedrich Nietzsche, who along with uh, Soren Kierkegaard and Albert Camus, um, if you want to look up some names of some great philosophers to read, introduce existentialism, where rather than us having identity before we are born, having meaning before we exist, that, that meaning is essential to us. The existentialists think meaning is created through existence. So essence, meaning is existing before us. Existential, we create meaning. And so Peterson's has this then modernist, um, essentialist um, ideology that says there are these absolute ways and I think a lot of people get concerned, and this is why I'll hand it back over for, for discussion, is then how do you have conversations about what society ought to look like if you're arguing that we can go prescribe what society should look like through um, naturalist, biological, psychological inquiry? Like, wouldn't that just end up in a form of absolutely right government that then you are wrong to criticize? So... Tying back to what Josh just said, the way I understand it is, and the way, again, as a former fan of uh, (laughs) Professor Peterson, is that I realized that at the same time that I was being asked to find the best version of myself, it was also a matter of, I was being asked to find the answer in biology. It's like, you have to find, you have to be independent and you have to be, you know, take your destiny by your hands and be whatever you want to be. But also biology tells you I should be this way. So it was, to me, it seemed like a a little contradiction in like the way that I was being asked to be independent, but also deterministic in that I was told like, yeah, you know, this is what a man looks like. And you should look like this. And it definitely didn't look like me at at many certain points. Um, So, so to me, that's what was wrong with me. I want to echo again what Josh said, because like, if I know that the book and the teachings especially the part of self-help, have helped a lot of people uh, find their true meaning, uh, get out of very dark spaces. So like if this has in any way helped you, then I have, you know, no matter what we say, like if it has had any positive impact in your life, then that means something and that is valuable. What we're trying to discuss here is to me, the propensity that these messages can have into shaping the way you think about the world and how it in some cases can be very negative and extreme. I think that that highlights a great uh, disclaimer that everybody here is going to get behind, that there is good that can be taken away and then there's bad that we can sift through things that are maybe too extreme or not necessarily applicable. I I suppose one of my issues with the overarching perspective there is that it it doesn't examine the individual complexities. There is something to be said about the self-help. To a certain extent, there are things that people can do that they can use as coping mechanisms, that they can use as things to better themselves, to help themselves get out of a difficult situation. However, depending on how society views certain things, the stigmas that are placed on certain individuals, it can make it more difficult to do so. One of the things that I study is group dynamics and how groups interact with one another, what makes groups dysfunctional, what makes groups uh, more functional and do better. 
And one of the things that causes groups to be dysfunctional is the emphasis of fault lines. And fault lines are where groups break down into subgroups. And those subgroups, um, typically because of um, affective tendencies, people tend to form alliances and interests with people who look similar to them, behave similar to them, or think similarly to them. You can have fault lines in any of those three categories. If you want a group to be functional, you have to balance someone's individuality and where their individual characteristics can benefit them, but you can't emphasize it to the point that they stop trusting individuals because they view them as the outgroup. They view them as different. They view them as other. And that's true for society. That's true for work groups. That's true for you know little think tanks that sometimes become groupthink, but you you have to find a balance. And I think that that's where I would say the idea that you can think a specific way, right? Clean your room. If you take from this that you're controlling something in your life, you're creating order so you feel like you have control over something, I would say that's a good if it helps you get out of that situation. Where it becomes bad is if someone basically says, hey, you know what you haven't done? Go clean your room. Try that and then complain to me about something. So I think that's kind of where that line can be both good and bad depending on where it's taken. I want to hear your thoughts on this idea that um, I, I feel like Peterson is a very good example um, in the modern discourse of the idea of an individuality versus collective uh, think. It's like, I, I think he has, he, I don't know if he has said this, but I assume he identifies as a classical liberal, um, as, as someone who is like more on the side of trying to like determine these actions by the individual actions and like it's sort of like an act of like a one single person can change you know the world whereas you know in the collective perspective on the other side on the more progressive side um you have all of these things about you know self-help and this is coming from someone who is now an opponent of most of his ideology is that there are some things that you cannot fix just by acting by yourself there are some things in society that need to change but you're not going to change them you need to ask someone to change them you know the power is not within your you to change the systems and these dynamics and that's where collective action is most needed and that's how i feel some of us who disagree with these ideas feel like that, that it's that it's not if we all clean our rooms tomorrow then things are not going to change for the well things might change for the better but then they're going to change for the best for many many people who are not in the ability to to you know they cannot say like josh said it doesn't matter like if a gay couple 50 years ago doesn't matter how much they clean their rooms, it was still illegal to get married. It was like things that needed like a structural societal change for them to be better. As far as the self-help, wow, excuse me, you can edit that part out. As far as self-help side of things goes, um, leave it, it in. Seems, Just clean your room, Austin. You'll do better speaking next time. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. No, but as far as what, you know, with my passing familiarity with Peterson, what he's trying to address, it seems like those large societal changes uh, again, I haven't read a ton of him, but just trying to logic parts of this out, it seems like if we all do make incremental changes toward the us that we want to be tomorrow, we'll all be in better shape. Now, that doesn't mean, like the example that you gave, not every single societal issue would be fixed, but each and every one of us would be a little bit closer to being the whole person we want to be. Again, I, I don't know if that's exactly what Peterson would be getting at as far as like if we all did clean our room every single day that... I don't know, we would have all the societal problems we wanted to fix 
But I do think that if we all decide to clean our room and take responsibility for the things in our purview, we would be in a better shape tomorrow. Like you said, Marcella, you thought that, you know, things would be better. It may not be the best and it may, all of our problems might not be worked out. But I think as far as my understanding of it, if we were able to take responsibility for the things that we can personally, then we would be able to take more effective collective action. And maybe some of the things we thought we needed to take collective action on we're in our purview and we could fix it with incremental change in our own lives over time. And I don't know, maybe we find out that some of the things we thought were larger problems than they were actually were things that we could address. I think Austin, you highlight something really interesting when you talk about, um, you know, when I think in the rough paraphrase, when you said, uh, you know, you know, Peterson suggests if we all, you know, collectively cleaned our room, we would create a better version of an, the us that we want. And I think that gets into probably one of the most um, hot topic points of individual versus the collectivist views is that to have an individualistic society, there must be an other. And I'm sorry for anyone who finds that um, very uh, overly complicated because there's multiple definitions of what it means to be another. And we're going to maybe even talk about another one later. We probably won't. So don't worry about it too much. But there has to be this other. And in some sense, perhaps human psyche rests on the dependency for us to recognize this other. Thanks, Hegel. Um, but when we think about what Peterson proffers in these rules for life, in this um, in his particular like self-help, the people who it helps are those who are already like largely benefiting from the structures of society, but not necessarily feeling it. Like why are some of the more privileged people who don't get harassed by the police, who aren't threatened by violence from police, who are less likely to experience poverty, have more access to material goods and social services here in the States, i.e. a white man, feel this pit of like why don't you know part of that you know part of the underlying answer of that or part of the underlying you know your question that peterson is trying to answer is you know why do people feel that way and so i think when he does talk about that then you know if we all did this it would create a better us the concern then gets very much so how we mean us and how do we mean them and that's probably where a lot of the concern around how Peterson talks about the West being under attack and returning to our values. Cause there's some really like deeper statements like written like in there of saying, well, maybe we would all feel better if we returned to these classical, as Marcelo pointed out, you know, classical liberal, you know, values that we would feel better. That then means every country around the world who's not practicing those is inferior. That's the subtext that this West that makes us feel better is a superior culture. And therefore, people not practicing our culture, people not practicing us, people not performing the us are less. And it gets more dangerous because he roots this in his um, um, evolutionary psychology, which draws a lot of similarities, um, probably much to um, the philosopher's displeasure to Carl Jung's um, archetypes, because that's where a lot of the archetypes come from. Like Peterson's philosophy is rooted kind of in the same thing the Myers-Briggs test is, that there are these categories of people and we feel best when we do them. But since those categories were created, like um, we didn't go out and find those categories like the Ten Commandments written on a stone tablet for us by God, we, we came up with those categories. 
So how, you know, then rather how, um, there's a lot of impact then in how we make those categories because we did come up with them and because they do create that us and because we say this perfect, you know, uh, part of the American world, it, you know, is like returning to this ideal. Um, and that's also, you know, in the hard part, you know, about Peterson is it tall back of were there some things that may have been better in the 50s and 40s? Um, <laughs> besides on that, really depending on who you ask, Peterson's, you know, public arguments, you know, like he makes um, the reason women aren't in executive positions is because the women's archetype is that of the familial matriarch and the desire for family will always outweigh for career. And that's why you only see like unwed familyless like corporate executive females because they are suppressing their natural desire for a family to achieve that corporate goal. And so you might just say, Hey, that's some evolutionary psychology, or you might look in between the lines of that text and go, that man just said women shouldn't be bosses. Didn't he? Because he did. I mean, he didn't. But when you say they're not conforming to their biological natural archetype that I, the expert of evolutionary psychology, have quantitative data proving, that's what you're saying. Even if you are only saying we feel better when we match these archetypes. Well, what are those archetypes? And better, who gets to define and make those archetypes? I think that raises an important distinction between how archetypes and categories and tendencies are used within society. If they are used to explain how certain groups tend to perform, that's one thing. If they're explaining how some group ought to perform, I think that's another. Like when it becomes a deterministic, decisive mandate, if he's arguing that people feel more comfortable within specific groups, therefore they shouldn't operate outside those groups, that would be problematic. If the claim is that people tend to behave in a specific way, I don't know that that's necessarily patriarchal or misogynistic. It just depends upon how it's operationalized after that, right? So, for example, there was a study that I had to read for class last week that they were examining how do men and women lead differently. Now, what they also accounted for in that study was the expectations within society. And in their discussion in the study, they talked about how there's really no difference determined based off of sex on how men and women are going to lead. But there is um, a slight variance in that study based off of the way women felt that they were expected to perform. So it's not that uh, being a woman means that you're going to lead in a specific way or you're not cut out to lead. In that study, it found that women tended to lead in a specific way because of how they felt society expected them to lead. In that instance, a social category is actually very useful so that we can get to the root of a problem and we can say, okay, the reason that we're seeing a discrepancy here or there's less women in STEM is because of a societal stigma. Boom. Now we can fix it because we've been able to say there is a tendency. Now, if we say women are not cut out for STEM, that's a huge problem. So I really think that to kind of get back to Marcella's question, it really depends on how those social categories are used. Are they used to harm people or are they used to kind of explain how something is happening while also accounting for the fact that people fall outside of what is average or what is tending to exist within society? I think to um, Austin's point and Ryan's point too, in a way, is that there is right now we have the messages of one person being taken in very different ways by two groups of people. Um, uh, on one side, you have this idea that, you know, he's just helping, you know, he's just trying to help. He's just, he's telling me the things that, you know, 
maybe there's there are things a little wrong with me and like maybe i should work harder maybe i should you know educate myself you know try to be something more and like it like josh mentioned like one of his examples is that yeah i mean he is using all of this data and like evolutionary research to argue that you know that these are these are the reasons why things are happening on the other side on the other side you see people who are looking at the actual effects of his discourse and it's uh, it's not only creating people who are trying to better themselves but it's also creating people who are arguing that other people are the way they are because of evolutionary uh, evolutionary psychology and like that's i feel like the, the 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 true impact of that and and it's something that is very stark because whenever i see discussion online about this about uh, jordan peterson is always that like one side will say well he said this and then the other side will be like well show me exactly where he says that he hates women like, he's never said that um like show me exactly where he says that like all of these things are you know show me where you know show me the proof that this is actually something that's actually happening and at the end of the day is a matter of interpretation of like what are you going to take away from whatever he's teaching you know what what are you going to take away from his lectures from his books from his videos owning liberals which I have seen way too many of and I would love to erase that memory from my from my life. Um but it, what do you take away from all of these messages and it's like do you do you just take away the the fact that you know maybe I should work a little harder, be a little bit better every day or should I take away from like should I, should I take away that like oh yeah, you know, like this is everything is wrong right now because like we are not doing the things that we used to do like this is not the way it was supposed to be and like i am not only being oppressed because i am a man but i'm also being oppressed because of like certain particular reasons in life and like this is why things are wrong with me and i feel like that's a uh, you know you you I, i guess my my thoughts would be like you you take what you take right like it it, it all depends on like the way you analyze the message Um, but but I, I would say that in, in more, more often than not, I, I, I've seen people like just take his general teachings and then run with them. And then you end up appearing in a Marvel comic. <laughs> I guess on the topic of, um, you know, you can read whatever subtext into almost anything that you want to read. I don't know if I can see that Jordan Peterson is deserving of being forced into the role of literal magical super Nazi that is Red Skull. <laughs> Um, I definitely, I, I get where you're coming from, Marcel. There are some people that could run with some of these ideas, but it seems like you have to make a few logical, like a few, from where I'm sitting, it seems like somewhat large steps to get to some of these, um, under, you know, some of these subtexts. I know it's easy to say like on the face, this is general self-help and there's probably more that he's said that, you know, I might find disagreeable, but it seems like you'd have to cut pretty deep, almost deep enough that I'm not sure some of these things would be would be implied by Jordan Peterson that he wouldn't explicitly like he wouldn't want to say those things it seems like again here I am reading intent but I guess where do we draw the line of this is unacceptable because of the way this could be taken versus you know he has the right to speak people are taking this in a way that they shouldn't take it I think we can answer this with um the magical word I mentioned before of post-structuralism and not only explaining how we read Jordan Peterson, but also if any Peterson fans have been listening to this to offer maybe a better way of finding that sense of self and explaining why things happen 
in the same way that Peterson is doing through his evolutionary psychology, which is still hotly debated if it exists. I want to put that disclaimer there. So if anyone is a massive uh, Jordan Peterson's fan or spends way too much of their time and academic effort on um, Nazis and alt-right people on YouTube, such as I, you'll know that um, Jordan Peterson once debated my personal favorite philosopher, the Slavonian, Slavoj Zizek. And I have not watched that debate because I, I, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, so Zizek works with this particular um, French philosopher named Jacques Lacan. And Lacan posed this um, idea about the unconscious that was very much so different than Peterson's unconscious. Peterson's unconscious was this biological, essentialist kind of collective unconscious of Jungian Jungian archetypes um, that we perform out. Now, Lacan also views um, the unconscious as not necessarily a part of us, but um, as a part of this larger discourse. And this is what separates um, Jordan Peterson, a modern-day cognitive psychologist, and Slavoj Zizek and Jacques Lacan as, uh, as psychoanalysis, away from Freud's um, original psychoanalysis, where he viewed that the unconscious was inside of your mind and a part of you. But in reality, it's in what we would call your subjectivity. And there's 10 minutes left in this show, and we're just going to have to go with a very, very brief definition then of subjectivity and understanding of what does it mean to develop a sense of self? Peterson asks you to develop a sense of self from these uh, biological archetypes. Lacan asks you to understand that your sense of self is not something you make, but it's something that is constituted by the symbolic network around you. These archetypes that Peterson talks about are in what Lacan would call the imaginary order. And then there's this symbolic order that is our language that kind of functions as like a part of this larger unconscious. And we pull bits and pieces from the discourses and all of the information, and we construct an identity for ourselves from this. And this works well, even if we consider and accept postmodernism that everyone only has a shard of reality. In fact, it works better because that explains why everyone only has a shard of reality. Because if we imagine the language, the discourses, the conversations around a topic as like a big map, depending on where you are in that map, you'll have different parts of those discourses and conversations to pull from to constitute yourself. And so that's how Zizek and Lacan would say, you come into having a self-identity is uh, pulling from this. And I think this offers at least somewhat of a better pillar than returning to modernism like Peterson does, because it keeps us away from having developed these us versus them categories. Because as Ryan argues that these us versus them categories don't necessarily you know, have to be like patriarchal or masculine. I'm going to give that an eh. I think the categorization's a little patriarchal and masculine by its nature and that there's like this really strong desire for categorization that should just be resisted in general. Um, but we can also just avoid that and still understand how we come to identities and how we come to do what we do. Because the second author, Slavoj Zizek, works a lot is a fellow by the name of Louis Althusser, who looks at how ideology gives us our marching orders, how, as he says, we are interpolated into subjects of ideology. 
And I think one of the most important parts um, to take away from the combination of um, that kind of group of authors is that we're born into a world of discourses, of conversations, of themes and political battles that existed before we did. So we only get to come in here and negotiate on the terms of what existed before us. And so I think that's where a lot of the confusion and the meaninglessness comes from. And there's more to be said about answering the crisis of meaning in Lacan, but we can even save that for another time. But if we work with Zizek, we can understand that things happen because of our local distance. As Ryan pointed out, the social expectations are part of that symbolic network. So you're going to make it a part of your identity, how you present to match and fit from those. And then when we acknowledge that that discourse exists, we regain our agency to disrupt it, to go against it and to intentionally create new meanings and, you know, develop a better world. But if we accept the world is a prescriptive or, or is a prescriptive by nature that is already defined and already known, and we just need to go out there and uncover it, we're never in a position to challenge systems of power because we don't lack the agency because our, our, our self is rooted in this biological unchanging aspect. But Zizek allows us to understand we are morphous, changing, always gathering elements from this symbolic. And that pushes us to do some things because of the unconscious. And that's how we need to read because post-structuralism asks us to read a text where we look at what's not being said, those omitted parts. You examine the pattern of a text and look for what's missing. You look for the contradictions of the world's being ruined by people coming in from outside of the West. Um, and the world's also being ruined by people not performing the roles. Austin, you noted this contradiction. That is how you read ideology, is that you find these contradictions, you find what's not stated. And so that's where people read into it, is it's not that they're just reading blindly into Peterson, but focusing, focusing heavily on what notes are not being played, and even more so, what notes are allowed to be played if you're thinking about this discourse like music. This highlights one of the things with uh, the use of his language appropriately. And I haven't followed him closely enough to know how he uses it and where the text becomes subtext, right? It's like this could be inferred to be more of a deterministic perspective, right, if, if, if that's the way that that happens to go. I think that there's a little bit of a contradiction, not, not in what Josh said, but like in, in the idea of where the power is and how it's used. So there's, there's two kind of main perspectives on power. One is that power, and this is the way we most often use it, is that power is something to be possessed. It's possessed by the powerful. It's possessed by those people who are the top tier in society. And it's not possessed by people at the bottom. This would really come out to play when we're talking about, like, where do you fall in a social class? What are your means to actually be able to do something or you can't do something? One of the other perspectives is the relational view of power. And this comes from Hannah Arndt. And Hannah Arndt argues that power is not something to be possessed by an individual and taken away from another. It's something to be possessed by the group. And the reason it's to be possessed by the group is because in order for someone to have power, in, a, in many senses it has to be granted to them. So, for example, this can be granted based off of societal expectations. It can be granted based off of the group members following along, therefore granting them to be a leader. 
that perspective of power fits better with the self-help aspect, which would be, I can control this power, I can focus on myself. Where it kind of falls out of line, I think, as I've picked up from our discussion, is where you just tell someone to go take power where they don't have the ability to do so. So if, if a law prohibits someone from doing something, cleaning your room isn't going to help with that. I think where it can be applied, though, is where we say that there is an interaction between peoples within society and the power can be distributed a little bit more. I, I don't know if that's what Zizek was saying per se um, or if he was a bit more distributive. So like one must have, one must lose. Um, that answer is really long and involves okay, never mind. <laughs> and new definitions of power. OK, never mind then. But OK, so there's. One thing I will say then is how the concept of power is used has to be determined by the context. So where I think Jordan Peters can use power effectively is with self-empowerment if it can allow people to focus on tasks they can control rather than feel overwhelmed. When you use power in order to combat social issues, it can be more involved, I guess. So kind of circle back to Marcella's question. I think that there, there are aspects to take away where you have the ability, if you choose to do so, then it can be helpful. When you do not possess that power within society, it's not going to be helpful to hear clean your room, if that makes sense. It was a direct answer to me. So I would say, yeah, I think that makes that makes sense. And in the sense of like, if you could take away from this that, you know, only focus on the things that you can control and then try to make those things better, then obviously that makes perfect sense to me. But what I kind of like fell off the train uh, is when I realized that a lot of these things kept extending beyond things that I could control. It's like, like, you know, the problems society that you see right now, like, this is why these things are wrong. And then I felt like, one, I couldn't control them. Uh, and also I couldn't accept them. And so I needed to, like, take some kind of action to change them. And it was not change that I was willing to um, partake in. I think once you start applying something outside the realm that it was designed for, and, and this is not at anybody in this room virtually, uh, this is at, like, if Jordan Peterson is applying this beyond what the scope can cover or someone takes his legitimate statement and applies it beyond it, both of those would become problematic, I think. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with our hot takes. So if there's one thing I would give to take away from today's, and this will, I guess, will be a, a, a semi-hot take, is if you read Peterson uh, for the self-help book, um, that's great. For me personally, um, my advice, though, is going to be he isn't saying anything that unique in the self-help industry, and there's better authors who aren't going to be subtly feeding you political connotations about self-help at the same time, um, or at least the connotations won't be as fringe. Because the idea of clean your room, take a shower, keep your stuff neat and orderly as self-help um, is not original work. And I hope there was a citation in 12 Rules for Life. Um, so there are better options out there. My second point was, is, would be is to be aware when people come to you and tell you how something works, how something is, how something operates, look for the elements they highlight and see what about them they, they highlight. Look Then at the same time, look for the omissions and what's missing. And then at the same time, look at the contradictions and the messages. You can also find contradictions in what is said and what is missing. 
And for one final, more even deeper way to read ideology, look for the answer that is provided without a question. Now that's a complicated statement. But when you're reading a text, you'll be like, oh, why is it saying this? No one asked this question. Uh, an example that I know was used in an essay, forget the author, sorry. Um, a car, car commercials, you see them driving in forests, you see them going around clean, open vistas. What you don't see is concrete jungles, traffic pollution, and smog. So it is answered, oh, this car is great for the environment. This car is amazing. There's no traffic. All of that's admitted. And a new answer is produced through the discourse. And that, my friends, is power defined by Michael Foucault. And I'm sure we'll touch on that um, in next week. Well, I don't know a whole lot about lobsters. And I'm not sure if I'm on with the evolutionary psychology aspects of what Sam Peterson said. But gosh, we all need to clean our rooms. We can't really expect to make a change in society if you don't change yourself first. Excuse my terrible Kermit impression, but I always thought that Peterson sounds like Kermit. Um, I think that there is some utility in a lot of what he said that I picked up on. Um, as, as far as our discussion earlier talking about certain systemic issues that cannot necessarily be changed by the individual, unless you know they run in our, in our country, they run for a position in government themselves, if possible. Different discussion with a lot of other moving parts. But anyways, I do think that if we were to take some of these things that Peterson said, which Josh had mentioned is pretty general self-help stuff, if, you know, clean your own room, take care of your own stuff, make yourself the best you that you can be. That won't necessarily fix all society's problems, but it's going to move us all a little bit closer to who we're supposed to be as individuals. And I think that it would empower each and every one of us to make more of a change in collective systems that you see that are lacking. And that leads me to another thing as well. I think that there's been a lot of focus on some of the subtext of what could be read into Jordan Peterson's work. Again, not having gone into all of it super in-depth, I can't comment super uh, super in-depth on a lot of those things. But it seems to me that some of the evaluations of his ideology seem to be being read into him more than things that he would actually say. And I know Josh gave an entire talk about subtext, but I hardly think the man is deserving of being portrayed as notorious magical super Nazi uh, Red Skull. I think that's seems to be fairly um, an unfair characterization is from where I'm sitting. But at the end of the day, we could all take a lesson from this. Even, you know, there's some authors that may be somewhat controversial, but they can still say some good things. And I think that's why it's so important. You clean your own room, get yourself in order. You'll be more able to recognize when things start to go off the rails, uh, be solid in what you know, and be ready to engage some of the ideas that may be a little bit more fringe. And um, you could get something good out of it, but you could also know where the line is and stop if things are getting, you know, if you do read those things in the subtext, you'll be able to stop yourself and say, these are not ideas I would agree with. So I think I always hate taking the centrist position because I, I used to be a centrist and now I hate it. But it, I feel like in this case, as much as I hate to admit it, it is a question of how you look at these things. And I will never defend this man. I, I think that the things he has said specifically related to to trans people um, and to other minorities, not nothing too overt, but enough of a pushback aligned with people that he has been in conversations with is that I'm not comfortable endorsing anything he says. However, as someone who used to listen to him, it is, it is like true to me that his teachings have helped a lot of people in the realm of improving oneself you know improving your own self uh taking your ideas taking your power and like whatever you can control and then making the best of it at least for that i can i can agree with it uh in a way like josh said you probably 
don't need to go all the way to Jordan Peterson to find these ideas. You can probably find a WikiHow on how to do it. Um, and at the end of the day, I feel like it is like a matter of perception. It's like what you can take from it and what you can see from it. And like at the end of the day, I feel like I am leave, I am living my life by the teachings of whoever said it first, you know, like just if it's your life, live it. Um, but also do be aware of the structural changes that need to happen that are out of your control. And if that's not in your control, then you need to find someone who is in control of that and probably make them change them. There's a lot of things in, in, in society right now that I feel like need desperately need some change. And the change can come from us, but not only from us. Um, with that said, my laundry is ready. So, I think this was one of the less intense and more discussion-based podcasts that we've probably run so far. And I enjoyed it because I think it was unique in that realm. I think that it's important to look at something for what it is. Uh, that's why I'm I'm I am hesitant to look into the subtext. I'm also not gonna defend Jordan Peterson because I have not followed him closely enough or his works close enough to feel like he's either a been a a revolutionary in the self help world or b there's a lot that I do disagree with, particularly when it gets taken beyond what his research and, and teachings can actually substantiate. It becomes problematic when anyone, regardless of political affiliation or personal status, winds up using data categories, things like that, in order to further a particular agenda, and they reach beyond what the data actually says. With that being said, I think that some of what he says resonates similarly to the idea of the relational view of power, which focuses on making sure that you are not taken advantage of and allows for actual change by addressing the problems directly rather than just attributing them to the system at large. There are things that do require a systemic change. I would say Jordan Peterson's self-help ideas or any self-help ideas really aren't going to get you too far in those. With that, the use of language is going to be important. And I think it's important to also remember that power is not necessarily distributive, meaning one must have and one must lose. But rather, from the relational view, it's going to be collectively constructed. With that, categories can be very helpful in helping us understand what the social tendencies are and what the social expectations are in order that we either account for individuals who fall outside of those or we wind up being able to diagnose problems when the expectations of the culture or the society become problematic in their mandates that someone cannot fall outside of a particular category. I think that as long as Jordan Peterson's teachings are not taken outside of that idea by himself or his followers. I don't know that it's necessarily problematic, and I would agree with Austin that I don't think he's necessarily deserving of being a Red Skull super Nazi that is pushing a, a particular agenda. But again, as long as it's not being outside of that purview. All right, I'm sure you all find yourself somewhere between the liars, and we'll catch you back here next week. <laughs> We'll be